You're listening to Lady Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. We're back. Welcome to episode two of Lay Radio, the officially unofficial podcast focusing on the universe of Elite and the development of Elite 4, computer game Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, Fozzer Forrester, and eating cake with me in the Sinewider cockpit tonight is the licensed fiction guru, Alan Stroud. Hello. The Tom Daly of the Deep Space, Chris Jarvis. Hello. And the leak lover from across the border, John Stabler. <laughs> you can't do it again. <laughs> I would like to I would like to address this issue of our presenter um being a little bit um shall we say prejudice on occasion with his introductions. Um I would just like to make the point to our listeners that um Chris Foz Forrester is actually secretly a mashup writer. He's very <laughs> interested in elite stroke Star Wars stroke Battlestar Galactica fiction and has been writing uh, extensively in Darth Maul in a Cobra chasing Starbuck across uh, the Elite Universe sort of stuff. Um, I am critiquing it. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> if he carries on doing these introductions, I will start publishing his fiction. <laughs> oh, dear. You said you would never publish it. That was just something that you and I were supposed to be sharing. I am I am laying this down for you. I recognize that the stuff is very dear to your heart. But, you know, at the end of the day, there is only only so much that we have that can stop you from dissing John. You know, we've we've got to protect John. John is, you know, an integral part of the team. And I want to be I want to be there to assist our listeners and make sure that that someone is standing up for, you know, a, a, a certain level of decorum around here. So if you do it again. Darth Maul versus Starbuck in a Cobra in Disso comes to light, all right? I think you'd be uh, absolutely mad, which leads us on to the fact that it has indeed been a, a mad, mad week for the Lave Radio team. Uh, obviously, the first episode of the podcast went out last week, and I have to say I'm thrilled by the response that we got from the uh, from the forum and the fans out there. Um, it's always quite nerve-wracking putting out your... Um, you know, your first uh, your first episode, and I know certainly the four of us were very critical of uh, of what we'd managed to uh, produce, but it was really really sort of gratifying to hear all the the responses. You know, ninety nine percent of it positive, the other one percent uh, random, but um, really really sort of great to hear that. Uh, we'll go through some of the feedback at the the end of the show, and suffice to say that we're certainly going to take it all on board and try and. Uh, incorporate it into uh, into future shows and obviously it's been a mad week for you alan because your kickstarter's launched yeah yeah absolutely absolutely incredible um i i got the stuff up onto uh onto the kickstarter website on friday and uh then ground my teeth in frustration from 12 o'clock on friday in the middle of the day until uh the end of the day on monday when it finally went live since then the response has been amazing, and we're we're fifty way fifty uh, percent of the way to uh, the initial funding goal already. Excellent. Well, I think we'll uh, actually cover uh, cover a little bit more about your Kickstarter in the in the news, Alan, just to see what it was uh, 
what it's been like for you this week in terms of uh, whether or not you've been glued to your screen pressing the you know the f5 button like the the good old kickstarter days of your um what about you john what have you been up to this week anything exciting well, uh, since we found our you know our newfound fame um i've just been you know fending off women in the supermarket um you know it's, they've just been coming up to me saying hey you're that uh, that guy off the the podcast aren't you um no not really i've i haven't been doing a lot this week i've just um, been recovering from the editing i did on friday night enjoying pressing f5 on the web stats watching people download it and um people giving us praise on the forums it's been much appreciated and you've been exceptionally busy changing the colour scheme of our website, haven't okay, you? Okay, so what happened was somebody decided <laughs> that um, for consistency purposes, um, our website didn't look like Lave. Now, uh, well, they set off Alan, basically, who said, you're right, it should be orange. So we changed it to orange, and then we had feedback saying, but I liked it blue. So now we have a new feature on the website. <laughs> it's, it's only a five-page website, but still, we have multiple styles. So people, when you go along, uh, if you're not happy with the new orange, I personally think it looks brilliant. Um, then, of course, you can switch it back to the old blue. Don't worry. Don't feel, you know, all this new stuff is going to ruin your mojo. F you. We care about you. We care about our listeners. We want to make sure they get the best service. <laughs> we want to give them options, you know, and, and, and where we can't agree, then obviously we will endeavor to, to provide both options for them. I think that was that was really good of you, John. And um, I don't know where you got that cobra from to go on the front as well. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Really, Alan, are you going to be looking for praise every time you help towards the website? <laughs> I just can't wait to read your uh, book to find out how many of my ideas you've stolen. Uh, no, no, trust me, trust me. Darth Maul versus, versus Starbuck and the love scene. Darth Maul and, and Starbuck in bed. <laughs> You know, I, I nicked that straight out of Foz's submission. I Man, think you might have to clarify there whether or not it was the obviously the original Battlestar Galactica Starbuck or the <laughs> uh, the latest Starbuck. Well, or the original. You're, you're you're the author author Foz, so you need to clarify that. I'm afraid. That was, no, so I'm... That, that was the point that I, I I can't remember writing for some reason. So uh, I was hoping you were going to uh, just to well, you know, refresh my I, memory. It, it's it's such a good passage that I'm sure our listeners will obviously want to enjoy it for what it is rather than have me reveal too much about it before they read it. So, you know, stay tuned. And um, Dirk, if you're watching. <laughs> I think we'll just leave that one right there. Chris, what about you, mate? What have you been up to this week? Excited by the podcasting like you guys. Um, obviously, uh, so I kind of set about writing strange adverts that we can include. And we'll see, I guess we'll see what else happens with that. Um, and I've been inspired with lots of ideas. I'm not sure. You, I'll have to take your guys' lead on whether it's too early to talk about the other stuff. Well, I mean, what I mean, it leads us quite nicely onto the fact that uh, from the success of the first podcast, it's been uh, quite gratifying to know that uh, uh, Lave Radio has actually been approached by various different sponsors from the elite universe to uh, to do various uh, advertising spots. So, absolutely. Uh, I think all the listeners will see as we go through the uh, as I go through the show, we'll have to cut to various um, uh, advert breaks uh, from those sponsors. So it will be interesting to get your feedback on uh, on those. So yeah, so apart from uh, apart from speaking to our sponsors, have you been doing anything else in the in the real world? Still looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> that starring role still eludes you. 
Now we've got some confusion here because I'm sure in my original bio, you know, I talked about doing amateur dramatics, and I, and I have been somewhere along the line promoted from doing Amdram to suddenly being an out of work actor, <laughs> um, which I'll take. You know, if someone sort of listens to the voice and thinks that's the voice we need, you know, that's the guy we need for uh, our crazy thing, then, then then feel free to get in contact. We're going to cut to a small advert break, and then after that, we'll be talking about the news. Have you been missold PPI? Python Protection Insurance was missold if you didn't want it, ask for it, or need it. I was missold Python Protection Insurance, and I got a claim worth 3,000 credits. At Cowell and McGrath, we are ready to pursue claims for pilots who were sold PPI, even though they didn't have an escape pod. When my partnership was destroyed, the insurance became invalid. I settled out of court for enough credits to restart my narcotics and weapons shipping business. Millions have been missold Python protection insurance they can never claim, simply because they don't have an escape pod. Why should you pay for not reading the small print? My husband was missold PPI. As a result of our claim, we now own Jupiter. Cowell and McGrath, turning your carelessness into profitable lawsuits. And we're back. One of the things that we did get some feedback on from the first podcast was that, strangely enough, we didn't really spend that much time on the um, the first dev video. Um, I have to say that's because we, uh, yeah, we just basically forgot about it. We were far more uh, uh, interested in the concept art, and we uh, we absolutely just glossed over it. So, what are the things we're going to do now is we're going to quickly go through the the questions that David actually answered and uh, see where there's any sort of nuggets of interest there that we can pick up on so the first question was from mpat um are there any books and films tv shows and artists that are going to influence the elite hardware uh, and the look and feel of the the game now this is something we actually did touch on in the uh, the podcast because david said that uh, you know, the universe itself is going to be very functional and on the first podcast we talked about the fact that it you know, the elite dangerous universe and the elite universe in general was much more gritty and much more sort of based in realism, um, which is exactly what David said. He said, you know, he was inspired by the the early Star Wars, the grubbiness, and also the latest series of Battlestar Galactica, purely because you could look at them and see that they would work in a real life setting. You know, trading ships would actually spend a lot of their time sort of grounded, so they would have an up and a down based on loading and unloading cargo. Um, there's no artificial gravity apart from maybe in big space stations using you know, theories that would work in in um, in a today setting. Guys, what do you think about it? What's your thoughts and feeling on um, you know, the look and feel of the elite universe? I think it always has been, you know, that sort of iconic uh, elite frontier, the big wheel space station has always looked, you know, very much like the kind of thing from 2001. And I think it has always been that, you know, it is... It is more Arthur C. Clarke than it is George Lucas, I think, if you can, if I can use that kind of analogy. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I didn't think that, um, you know, he said anything that we didn't, in a way. Um... So question two, we'll just rattle through these. The uh, From RMPG, uh, will PC and Mac players be able to play in the same world? And David basically said that, uh, yes, you can play using... Uh, either one of those computers using the same accounts and hopefully uh, more platforms later on. Uh, now, that was quite interesting. In terms of more platforms later on, are we thinking Linux? Are we thinking possibly Ouya, PlayStation 4? What's people's thoughts? Well, OK. Oh, it seems it's a slightly techy one. I suppose I'll have a stab at it. 
Go for um, it, John. There's been a lot of people were excited that David Brabham had done a. I think he was talking in Crossway on the BBC somewhere about the PS3. Uh, sorry, PS4. sorry, PS4. And so um, there's been a lot of talk that obviously the PS4 is going to be quite a uh, an upgraded piece of kit. It's going to be a lot closer to the cutting edge PCs. So there's a potential there for. Um, for maybe the crossover onto the to the consoles, is it going to get onto the current generation of consoles? Probably not. Realistically, yeah. Um, the Ouya, I'd love to see it on that, but that is just a glorified Android box, isn't it? And I don't know what the it's it's basically as powerful as um, the current um, flagship mobile phones, I think, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I have to say, my uh, we've just got an update from um, Kickstarter actually regarding Ouya. It was one of the projects that I backed, and uh, yeah, they are shipping on the 28th of March to backers. So they're going to see the Ouyas in the real world. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, a very, very tiny box, um, which you know I've got the the Samsung Galaxy Note 2, which is quite a powerful uh, smartphone, and you know it's not a million miles away from that. Uh, more interestingly, you might be able to see the, the Steam. Box. I mean, we're not going off into a, a big technical podcast here, but the uh, the Steam box for the TV again looks like it could be quite an interesting platform. Which, if the game was released through Steam, which we have no confirmation of that yet, but if it were, then that would be one way of getting uh, Elite Dangerous into the living room using the Steam box. So, it, yeah, it, it's quite interesting what David said in terms of it being available on other platforms. So we should watch that space. Question and three. I think it's really. Oh no, I was going to say I think it's really interesting on about Elite on consoles. Uh, you know, the prospect of it in the sense that the control mechanism for PC games and the control mechanism for consoles is very different. Um, and I mean, I remember, you know, Frontier, I remember trying to play it on joystick and kind of giving up and going back to mouse, you know, but at the same time, a lot of games come out now. XCOM, when it came back, had obviously been designed for consoles from the ground up. Yeah. It was a very different experience, but still with the same core gameplay features. And I, I'd be very interested to see whether kind of, you know, Elite Dangerous does make an easy port to consoles if that's what they choose to do. I mean, some of the some of the um, the footage in the in the development when they were testing some of the game engine, I was pretty sure they were using game pads, weren't they? Yeah, they were using the Xbox, Microsoft Xbox controller for the PC. Um, and again, if you think about the difference in terms of the arcadiness of Elite in terms of combat versus the the jousting format that you had in Frontier, you know, the Elite gameplay actually lends itself a lot better to modern day controllers in terms of the console controllers than it yeah. does for mouse and keyboard. So yeah, you know, there is. It depends on how much stuff you've got to do in space stations in terms of using keyboards and, you know, maybe moving your mouse around. But the actual space fighting and combat, I think, actually lends itself far more to being a, a game in the living room than any of the previous ones that went before. And it. it's also actually to do with the evolution of the controller because back when Elite was out and Frontier to some extent, um, all controllers were were um, digital. Um, it's only now that we've started seeing, you know, with the current and, sorry, the last two generations of consoles, we've started seeing analog sticks, which would allow you that kind of um, ability to, to fly a ship, like such, such as in Elite, um, and such as um, we've seen in the videos for Elite Dangerous. So it's more to do with that. Um, it, can be, it can be transferred to consoles, but at the same time, if the game is as compl- complex as we're expecting it to be, I think it's always going to be more playable on something with a keyboard. Moving on to question three, which was from Kay Freeman. Uh, when flying with your friends, can you share nav map data? 
David says, yes, important. If you are heading in the same direction, you will want to collaborate with your fellow allies. Um, what do people think about this? I mean, obviously, uh, David has alluded to the fact that it will be not just you know, directional data, but maybe possible to share, you know, hidden systems that you found or particular yeah. you know, artifacts within uh, within system. I mean, you can imagine if you know, if you were flying as part of a group and you lost some hull, say you were the one in the group that got destroyed, it would be nice to be able to you know, ping the information of where your cargo is, if it just in cargo, so that your, your fellow um, flower teammates could actually go and collect it for you. Um, I think this comes down to part of how they could implement the explorer mechanic, um, because the I, I'm kind of hoping, and I you know I have to stress this: um, this area is not anything I have anything to do with. So I'm speculating just like anybody else. But I'm kind of hoping that nav maps will be a tradable commodity. So essentially, um, as you update, as you find things in system, you are able then to to make use of the nav map to sell it, and there will be hopefully, you know, corporations who will buy those nav maps. Um, certainly there are corporations that um, we've looked at in terms of the, the general merchant feel of the game later on that could possibly do that. But again, you know, I mean, that's going to be up to, to Frontier to decide whether that's something they want to do. I, um, I, I don't have a lot to say apart from sharing nav map data. It's kind of a very broad term. So, I mean, it really is to what extent and I suppose, as Alan's just said, is it? Are you able to share it and and actually deal in it and use it as a commodity in itself? That would be quite interesting. I think, to be honest, um, my sort of feeling around most of the aspects of the game, and we come on to this in question four too. Most of the aspects of the game, I think, there is a an argument to try and commodify as much as you possibly can, because the more that you do commodify the more you offer opportunities for people to play the game in slightly different ways. I think that's important. Excellent. Well, moving on to question four from Cutter. Uh, since space travel is long and boring, will we be able to play time-wasting games in our ships? So crosswords or chess, etc. Uh, I think David handled this very nicely. He said, no, because we're not making a game that's going to be boring. So your long periods of hyperspace travel are going to be not so much a long period, but maybe a few seconds. Uh, it seems very much that David wants to focus in on the action of the game as opposed to spending lots of time traveling. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, the you know I, I completely agreed with the response in terms of batting that back. There is one element that I think that I'm not sure whether the, the question I got it across, uh, and certainly it was something that was discussed on the forums fairly early, early on after the Kickstarter was finished, about different types of play. And just the idea that people do play games for different reasons and for different things. And sometimes in games, if you cater for those different things, then you encourage people to play and be part of the game more. So actually, I'd like to see different methods of play. I'd like to see, you know, possibly in-game poker at a, um, you know, at a space station, um, you know, so that you could go there and play with your friends in the game and then decide, OK, then we're going to go out and shoot a load of asteroids and then we'll come back you know whatever really I, I i kind of like the idea of there being lots of different types of game involved in uh, in the way it eventually goes mm. and just to add on that you know the more options that are available for players um then you're creating more opportunity for role playing yeah absolutely and, and it kind of makes it immersive you know because the more you you create a life for the character that you're playing in the game 
the more that character seems to you know to sort of be alive to you i guess in a in a strange way i think that's kind of important and elite had that at the very start you know the sandbox mentality at the very start you could play the game in multiple ways um, and for its time you know that was that was incredibly innovative now it's not so much so actually having lots of different methods of play that you wouldn't necessarily see in um, you know in, in other games certainly would make it more interesting but i think the question highlights you know that what we've said before is a fundamental change between the way elite and frontier used to work to how it's going to have to work now i mean frontier had that system where you could fast forward time to allow for the fact that you know it took three or four days to travel from one planet to another clearly if this is going to be a multiplayer thing that can't happen so there's got to be something very different about the way the space flight works in this game I think much more so than we've ever seen before. Uh, question five, this one's from Dinbar. Will there be media such as newspapers in the game? And David said, not particularly uh, newspapers per se, because he thinks they're an old medium, but there will certainly be news feed telling, about, uh, telling the player about galactic information, so where the civil war's going on, uh, possibly funny stories about, you know, maybe f- funny stories about famines on planets. That's not funny at all, <laughs> um, but funny stories... <laughs> Uh, or interesting stories about uh, local events that might be able to uh, to give you a pointer as to you know, where would be a valuable commodity. So say there is a, a horrible famine on uh, a local planet, then you might think that you know, if you were to go to a neighbouring star system, buy some food, then you'd make a profit by bringing it back, that sort of thing. So he did say that there was going to be news feeds, but not newspapers. Everybody okay with that? Yeah, no, it's, it sounds fine. The the interesting thing here is Frontier First Encounters, the newspaper journals that were, um, you know, were part of the game. Essentially, they were they were a database of of information that had tiny little linkers uh, in them that would allow the the commander's name, i.e., the the, uh, the player playing, um, allow the name that they tapped into feature within those feeds. And also, what they would also do is, where they were looking at locations, the locations would change dependent on where the player was in game so they would try and keep all the information fairly local to where the player was but there were certain pieces of information that weren't that you know that were standard as well now that whole system obviously is not going to be the way in which um, they're going to go with it this time so what um what they're they're, they're going to need to do is have something that has information in it that gives a, a sense of you know ongoing media and ongoing news but not a newspaper form. So I think there was the way in which the question was answered in the the dev diary. It did kind of kind of chop it down, and I I'd be quite keen that people didn't necessarily think that this meant that there wasn't going to be any kind of major media news system. Um, I don't know what that'll be. I've absolutely no idea. I'm you know speculating as much as anybody else, but um, I certainly hope that you know there's an opportunity there to shape a campaign uh, through some of that information. I mean that's an interesting way of how they how they are going to present the information because obviously we spoke a lot about Eve Online last week in terms of um, you know the differences. But one of the things that uh, was in Eve Online pretty much from the beginning was the the floating billboards in space, and they would give you, you know, little snapshots about um, the bounties on various sort of local players it'd be interesting to see whether or not something like that could be incorporated and i think from memory there's a few bits in the uh, in the concept art where there's there's large billboards floating outside the space stations um what sort of information do you think that type of presentation would lend itself to i mean would you 
put uh, Civil War information maybe on there as a news feed, uh, you know, a live radio advert on there, for example. <laughs> or, yeah. I, I mean, it lends itself anything that anything that's given in the database can be displayed on something that they, they choose to to make a display, you know, within the game. Within uh, Frontier First Encounters, you had essentially you had printed graphics. So the graphic was printed with the relevant, you know, information directly onto it. Um, now, certainly, you know, there's no reason why, because they'll have a whole database of every player, so there's no reason why the commander names of the players can't be printed. There's no reason why any assets that have a, a you know, a mention in that database can't be printed. I don't know. I mean, it, it, but it really does depend on what the team doing the design see as the priorities for, for that kind of media. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Information about things like civil wars uh, and stuff like that, ongoing things that may be happening in adjacent systems that will encourage players to maybe leave the safe, safety of the core systems and venture out and go and take advantage of some situation somewhere else. And even tags for missions. I mean, even things suggesting that suddenly so-and-so's moved ships over the border to somewhere else and is invading as kind of an, op- an opportunity to maybe, you know, go and find uh, a mission that's happening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, one of the best things that was in Frontier First Encounters was the fact that when you did the mission, there was also a newspaper report of the mission and the mission events. So it actually made you feel like you were doing something that was directly affecting the wider world. So, you know, having some sort of link between the missions database and um, however a news feed is produced would be would be awesome. Perfect stuff. And that's going to do us for the first official dev diary. Uh, I'm sorry we missed it from last week, but uh, there just seems to be so much information coming out at the moment. It, uh, that one slipped through the net. So talking about so much information coming through, what we'll do is we'll move on to the DDF. There's been quite a few things moved from the DDF to the um, DDF archive, which I know the, the private backer forum has access to, but obviously the, the general guys don't. Looking through the, the information that's coming out of the DDF and the proposals from Frontier, um, the one thing that struck me this week as I've been trying to really analyze them is actually just the level of, um, the level of detail that goes into sort of creating a game. Uh, this might be a little bit off topic, but I have to confess I really didn't appreciate how every aspect of the game needs to be nailed down. Um, and looking at some of these proposals of how Frontier developments are planning on planning on tackling some of the things such as hyperspace, such as shields and things like that, you know, they really have got you know, every concept nailed down and a plan in place for it. Obviously, their plans are subject to change, but um, what that means for us on the podcast is you know, it doesn't lend itself particularly to me sitting here reading all the proposals line by line. So what we're going to do is we've been having a look through and we're going to pick out some of the interesting points, some of the points that you know, maybe are, are different from the previous games or that stand out as being particularly interesting to, uh, to us and how we think the game is going to be, to be played. So, guys, moving on to the first one, entitled, And There Are Many Paths to Tread, Hyperspace in Elite, a summary. And how they've broken this down, and they've broken it down into setting the destinations of hyperspace, activating the actual hyperspace drive, how we interact with the hyperspace jump, and finally, when the jump goes wrong, what happens with missed jumps. So, guys, just picking up from there, what are the sort of things that have interested you from the from the proposal so far? Well, from a usability point of view, um, I liked the idea that if you needed to go some distance that was going to require multiple jumps, 
um, that can be done all within the galactic map uh, straight away. So there was no need to go to the map, choose a system, jump. Go to the map, choose the next system, jump. You could just plot your course, and then you would just keep on hitting jump until you got there. Um, so you, it, you could spend a couple of seconds wait, uh, just waiting for your hyperdrive to recharge before just jumping straight away or you may find yourself somewhere interesting and you may actually want to just have a quick look around uh, I think uh, the idea is they're going to provide some interesting encounters you know in between systems yeah absolutely and it, and it looks like it's the sort of thing that you could actually go into the galactic map in a, in a space station launch and then the rest of the process is going to be automated so you do your first jump and then your your hyperspace countdown would kick in 10 seconds, and then you do automatically jump to the next one unless you cancelled it. So I think that's actually you know, a, a very good way of uh, of doing it. The thought of having to go through say three or four or five button presses, you know, every time you jumped into a new system, uh, really wouldn't have been much fun for the uh, for the user. Has anybody got anything interesting from activating the drive? The sheer practicalities of it. I think it's fascinating, and I think it, it does kind of reflect what we were talking about a little bit about last week in terms of the fact that the hyperdrive is tied to, you know, the power of the ship. So all the other things you're doing are kind of drawing on that. And obviously that's, that's specifically around combat. But there was, there was some really interesting stuff in here because we were talking about hyperdrive interdiction and stuff. But what's really interesting in here is that they've got stuff about devices that will allow you to slow down a ship's uh, hyperdrive charge. Um, which I think it was great. It's another one of those things that will just add some, add some strategy, add some tactics... Um, and can only result in you know more interesting encounters. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the areas where you know I really had to read it and reread it because there's quite a few things that will affect the the speed at which the hyperdrive will will spin up. And they've literally gone through and they you know they, they've isolated them and, and listed them. So obviously the quality of the hyperdrive, you know, be a Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Ten military hyperdrive, I think is what they're getting at. So that will have an impact on how quickly it can charge up. Whether or not you're being affected by a combat, that will have an effect on how fast the hyperdrive charged up. Whether or not you're being affected by an interdiction piece of device, that will have an effect on how it's charged up. But if you're being <laughs> if you've got a bad drive and you're being shot and another player is also using an interdiction uh, device on you, it's actually it's the basic whichever one of those is the worst effect, you'll just get hit with that. It's not cumulative. So in other words, you're not going to be, um, you know, say it's 10 seconds, uh, add an extra two because you've only got a Mark One, add an extra three because you're in combat, uh, but add an extra five because you've been interdicted. You know, it's not two plus three plus five. It's literally just, you know, the biggest drain, which is the five. Uh, I think that's a very clever way of doing it because um, you know, when you play EVE Online, you know, it's all, it's all cumulative. There isn't much chance of escape when you get properly jumped on in EVE Online, then yeah, unless you're a very, very good player, you know you're going home in an escape capsule. Whereas this one, I think, you know, you might, you know, you might lose your shields, you might get damaged somehow, you might lose some, um, some cargo. But you know, if you hit your hyperdrive, you might be a mess when you jump out. But in theory, you should be able to jump out. So interacting with jumps, this was uh, this one that I found exceptionally interesting. Um, so the the whole concept about uh, players sort of teaming up and becoming allies, the idea that all the hyperdrives with an allied fleet will be slaved and i know from conversations i had with some of my friends uh the idea that you know if you're all slaved together and one of the ships within that team has a misjump 
through, I don't know, say they've been attacked and they've had damage taken to their hyperdrive and it caused them to misjump. It causes the whole lot of you to misjump as opposed to just that uh, that one ship. What does everybody think about that? Well, it kind of encourages you to make sure all of your mates uh, get their ships repaired and are maintained. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like a cash cow for the shipyards to me. That's a very cynical but very clever way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I said before, you know, the more you can modify anything in the game, the more you monetize it, the more different types of play you encourage. So, you know, plus one for me. And I think this is I think this is really exciting. This is another thing that gives more opportunities for kind of wish fulfillment. Because if you think about a large group of ships all jumping together, you know, we've all seen that. That's you know, that's the assault on the Death Star, that's the Battlestar Galactica fleet trying to get home. You know, it's all of that suddenly bound up and put in a situation where you can do it together. One of the things I'm really wanting to keep an eye on is is how much control you have over hyperspace. Because years ago I had this sort of thing that I really wanted to do in like a multiplayer space combat thing where you almost divide your fleet into two groups and kind of jump in on either side of an enemy fleet so you can kind of pin to them. And I'd be very interested to see if that makes this makes something like that possible. Well, obviously, one of the things that people have been very excited about is the, 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 the tailgating uh, thing where, you know, when, when a ship jumps out, you can choose to just fly through the, uh, the sort of warp hole and try and follow them to wherever they've gone. And that's, that has some really interesting risk factors involved. There's a, there's a comment in there about if your drive isn't as big as the one that made the jump, you might not get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, I know we said we weren't going to read them out, Parrot Fountain, but the, the tailgate one is actually quite an exciting one. So how it's listed in here is ships can target a residual opening and attempt to tailgate after the ship that jumped. This is an extremely dangerous option, which involves charging the hyperdrive blind. If the tailgater does not have enough fuel to reach the destination, they will misjump. If the tailgater suffers any form of charge rate impairment, they misjump. When tailgating, there is a chance of misjumping that increases over time as the residual opening dissipates. So the longer you leave it to tailgate someone, the more chance you've got of misjumping. The tailgater suffers an amount of hull stroke component damage during the jump, regardless of the outcome. So I think that will be uh, that will be quite an interesting one. I mean, it sounds like you know, tailgating is going to be an interesting option. It's going to be take a, a balls a ballsy pirate to actually uh, to chase after a ship. You'd probably only do it, I would imagine, if the uh, you know if you've really pounded down on that ship and you know that if you can get through the other side, it's only going to take a couple more shots before um, you know they're blown to smithereens. Yeah, I mean, as you said, if you follow the logic of it, I think that that means that they are planning some kind of mechanic to encourage you to do it in some circumstances. So you might find that it's, um, uh, it'll, be- it'll become part of some missions. They'll obviously perhaps alter the safety of it, but I think it's going to be interesting how they're going to encourage people to use that mechanic. Needs more carrot. There's a lot of stick. It needs more carrot. I'm sure that will come as uh, you know, as it's developed a little bit further. So, I mean, the interesting one from certainly the original Elite was the the concept of misjumps, which they've covered here as well. Obviously, in the original Elite, you misjumped, you ended up in witch space, and uh, <laughs> there's that awful sort of sinking feeling as you approach from far from uh, by a couple of Thargoids. In the Elite Dangerous universe, there's quite a few things that can obviously cause a misjump. So a hyperdrive malfunction, so potentially if you've taken a pounding on hyperdrive, that can do it. Parts of the components of your ships, like the galactic map, that misfunctions, you can get a misjump. Activating this is an interesting one, because the first time we've heard of actual uh, environmental effects 
having an impact on what the player finds in uh, Elite Dangerous. So activating the hyperdrive inside certain space phenomenon can result in a misjump. Now, I wonder if our, our inside guy knows anything about what sort of space phenomenon they might actually be thinking about putting in there, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> there are quite a lot of options. It's quite difficult to uh, to really, uh, you know, I want to be a bit careful in terms of revealing anything too much that, uh, you know, that steals anyone's thunder. But certainly the very factor of hyperspace or hyperdrive or which space, whichever term that it is eventually settled on, um, the very factor that, that it's there gives an opportunity to, to bring content in. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something connect very clearly into that and also connect into the same idea of, you know, of the tailgating option because, you know, if you've got a group of people and you're after one guy and that guy goes through, maybe one of your people goes after them because they need the bounty or whatever it is. And it, essentially it's commodified again. Um, and obviously the, the situation then becomes more dangerous. So you could then lose just that one individual. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which they can look at the, the drive failure situation I, I honestly, I have to tell you and confess here, I know nothing at this stage <laughs> what they're, they're looking at. So, you know, it, I'm afraid, you know, I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't give you any insight even if I wanted to. <laughs> well, the, uh, the other aspects of uh, misjumping, the misjump destination may be on the outer limits of an inhabited system or in a dark system. Such systems may not yet be in the player's galactic map. And very rarely, a misjump can result in turning up somewhere else. Now, somewhere else is obviously in italics, so a bit of speculation there, guys. What does somewhere else actually mean in this context? But do we think that this could be you know, an, an old alien? I'm, I'm probably straight away reading too much into this, but um, sort of an extinct alien race, uh, um, you know, derelicts. Okay, I can, I, can, I can kind of give you a bit of a, an insight there, and I, I can link it slightly across um, a, a slightly different theme. There is a, a set of, of, of fiction and, and, and sort of game information related to the first game, Elite. And obviously, we're, most of us are familiar with that you know, if, we've, if we've played it. We know that there were planetary races given in Elite that were on planets, and you had all these different types of, of things on these planets. And there's been a decision made quite clearly that actually that kind of level of, of intelligent alien life in, uh, in further games is not going to be there. It was a decision made in Frontier, to be fair, and, and it's kind of sort of then and gone on a little bit further as to what they want to do. Now, one of the reasons behind that decision is that if you create a galaxy that just has lots and lots of different races and you immediately are dropped into that galaxy, you have lost the opportunity to have that moment of first contact. What Frontier and Frontier First Encounters were able to do was kind of wind things back a little bit and make that cultural difference between an alien race and your own race something quite interesting and sparky and and you know sort of new some sort of very distinct curiosity you know essentially that's you know the the, the sort of the the reimagination of the thargoids now if you take that step a little bit further and you rationalize around that towards what's going on with hyperdrive technology and the idea that you don't know what will happen then you have a possibility to introduce something new. That's as far as I can go. Read into that what you will. No doubt we will read into it. <laughs> <laughs> but fine, okay. So 
Uh, I think that's going to give us probably a year's worth of speculation then uh, in terms of where somewhere else might be. That to me is probably one of the most exciting things that's coming out of the hyperdrive sort of proposal. The feeling that you could turn up somewhere completely random and have uh, a scripted event that takes you further on into the game. Leaving hyperspace behind, uh, the one that was quite interesting was what actually happens when you die. Nothing more certain in life than death and taxes. And the, the threat of uncovering the death penalty rules and elite has been released. So what do people think about this? Does anything jump out at people in terms of um, what Frontier are doing? Yeah, the one thing that jumped out at me is that when you die, you don't die. Is that absolutely true? Because you do die if you're an Iron Man. I thought we were going to get to that bit in a, after, but okay, yeah, sure. But um, um, the important thing is that when your ship gets destroyed, you automatically get ejected and you go back to the space station you were last at, or sorry, the last spaceport. Unless your cargo and your ship, which is obviously insured. But um, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a good way of handling it? Are you sort of one of the, on the hardcore side or are you more on the sort of the casual gamer side? I think it's the only way they could do it in in a multiplayer game where you can get killed at any moment by anybody. If you know, if you if you like the multiplayer world and you're part of that group, you can really have it any other way. Games don't work in in a multiplayer world. Um, and I think I said this uh, when we were, I think we were just having a, a general conversation in, in on a forum or something. Really had death in Elite, really, um, because when you died. In, when you were playing Frontier or Elite, you would load a saved game. Well, that's it's kind yeah. of exactly the same thing, really. So you, what you're saying is it's an automatic save game that happens every time you enter into a space station. Yeah, and it's actually better than that because they've built it into the game and they've actually fleshed out with things like creditors and insurance policies and excess. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to that shortly. Well, I mean, you mentioned creditors. Why don't you just quickly run through... Um, what the plans are for credit? Well, sure. I mean, basically, um, if you die and you've got money, you're going to be okay because you can just pay your excess on your insurance policy and go and get a new ship. Uh, it may be the case that you don't have any cash on you. So that might lead to the situation where you need to borrow some money. Come in a couple of forms. You could go to an independent, uh, in effect, and they would lend you the money and you would pay them back plus interest over time. You would go to a faction uh, and they would do, offer a very similar service, but um, instead of paying back in, in just like through whatever you're selling uh, on the stock markets or whatever men you earn otherwise, um, you can actually pay it back by doing repayment missions. And on that is, of course, if you do come across money some other way, you can just go and pay them off. You don't and not do the mission. But yeah, there's, so there's different ways um, of actually dealing with this debt that that could potentially be created. Actually, it's not just the factions that when we, we when we think of factions, obviously we think of uh, imperial, we think of uh, the federation or the independence. Also, criminal factions are a possibility. So you could have a loan shark after you. Which does sound like a very good, cool idea. Yeah. Um, interesting you say about the factions, though, because uh, looking at the proposal, the faction mission, the faction repayment missions are only available when your um, relationship with that faction is above a certain set threshold. Um, which it'll be interesting to see what the sort the start-off point is in uh, Elite Dangerous, because is there therefore going to be an option of you know, automatically starting off allied to the Federation or allied to you know, the Imperials? Um, as opposed to you know a completely blank slate, or is it a question of 
having to go through the game, spend you know, half an hour, 40 minutes to get to a certain basic level within one of those factions, and then they will offer you the repayment missions. I thought that they kind of missed a trick because um, by saying that you have to have any reputation at all because I think it could be an interesting way of lulling new players who would otherwise try and remain neutral into taking up... Um, you know, taking up one faction over another simply because they need a new ship or something like that. Yeah, no, that's that's possible. I mean, there's also worth considering here that um, previously the implementation of the corporation element wasn't particularly um, fleshed out. So you had organizations like the Sirius Corporation, uh, the Rockforts, and um, some of the others that, that obviously were mentioned in some of the Gazetteer material, and you occasionally had, you know, sort of missions that involved some of uh, those organisations. There was the occasional mention in stuff that was going on. Um, there is an opportunity to make the corporate systems much more part of this this byplay between different political factions as well. The other big news, which was smuggled in through this death, um, was obviously they needed to say uh, they needed to announce that it's possible to own more than one ship. Absolutely, which is uh, certainly a move away from all the previous incarnations of Elite, where it was you know, one man, one ship. Obviously, the, the penalties for death and the you know, how you get yourself a new ship, they did say in the proposal that, obviously, if you have other ships, then you don't need to worry about paying a death penalty in terms of uh, getting all your starting equipment back, and you could literally move into your other ship. What does everybody think about that? I mean, are we going to be able to have to take those ships with us so that they're accessible from any uh, any spaceport, almost like a, a sort of a, a higher lease kind of arrangement where you'd literally just say, you know, I have the license to fly one of these, give me one of these, or are you going to have to have like a home spaceport where you'd have to you know, automatically start from if you wanted to jump into that ship. I think identification with your own ship is, is always a very important part of Elite. And I think there is, a, you know, there is a danger if it is that kind of you know, thing where you just pick up a credit for a ship, that almost just by doing that, you almost break a player's kind of attachment to, you know, this is my ship, this is my vessel kind of thing. Um, and I'm kind of hoping with this that there's almost a limit on the number of ships you can have at any given time. I think that, you know, there is something about the old way of, of, of playing Elite where when you get to that stage where in order to move forward in the game, you have to kind of upgrade and go on to a new ship. There's always that kind of bittersweet moment almost that you've grown attached to the one you've been flying in. Um, and I think, you know, there is a danger that for players who manage to be successful and earn lots of money, if you've got a garage with 10 or 15 ships in it, you're not really going to care, I don't think, or engage with you know, the kind of the, the vessel that you're journeying in. So I think, I don't know, I think it's a very difficult area. It's always something that I've never been able to put my finger on with space combat games, but that feeling of, um, you know, like Wing Commander, you know, Wing Commander only had four different ships, mm. but you did start to get a real attachment to this is the one I'm flying at the moment. So in your head, Chris, how many, how many ships would you like to see in your garage? I think three is kind of a good you know balance number i think the thing that i'm thinking is positive about having these different ship options is one of the problems with you know what happened in frontier is that you would think oh this is great i can now upgrade to a puma or something like that and i can do massive trading runs and i can do this stuff and then you'd discover that suddenly you couldn't do assassinations anymore yeah because the ship you'd bought was suddenly a real lunker 
So it would always be nice. I mean, you kind of think, you know, that if you've got a Puma and you've got a Viper, you could probably put the Viper in the cargo hold of the Puma and just carry it around with you so that you could take on those other jobs. Which would be interesting to know if that's the way they do it. It, that, would, that would be an interesting one, because if you think about some of the uh, the dev videos that we've seen going ahead, the certainly the one where the third lance um, and the escort mission with the, the Vipers, those Vipers could quite easily fit into that third lance's cargo hold. And an interesting strategy for multiplayer as well, if you could actually get other players to kind of almost be inside your ship in cargo, so you could fly in and meet a bunch of people supposedly on your own, and suddenly four or five guys in small fighters drop out the bottom of your ship. That would be interesting. I'm not, I don't know if they're going to do that or not. <laughs> it would be interesting. That does sound good, to be <laughs> fair. It does sound like a very cool concept of you know flying in what you think is a, yeah, a very a fat Ferdinand's trading ship, get beset by pirates, and then suddenly you drop your cargo, and your cargo turns out to be eight or nine Vipers, which literally just go to town on the pirates, and you end up being the salvage ship as opposed to being the... Uh, yeah, being the the victim, I think that's quite a cool concept. But you just mentioned the word pirates. Um, apparently, if there's a bounty on you, that gets put in on the excess that you need to pay after you die. Did you notice that? Any active no, no any active criminal bounty is transferred to the excess fee. I mean, that raises an interesting concept of how the um, how the bounties could stack up. Then, so if you are a mastermind pirate with a massive bounty on your head. Yeah, the cost of dying could be quite um, quite severe, but in the next line where it said, if a commander owns multiple ships, they can choose to forego a replacement ship and avoid this payment, choosing to pilot another ship they own. So even if you have got a large bounty in your head um, and you have made crime pay, then obviously you paid it pay enough so you can have separate ships and you don't need to worry about your own bounty. Uh, so pirates need to be rich. Okay. Pirates need to be rich to be pirates. I suppose we just briefly need to talk about Iron Man then. Well, interestingly, you don't sound very excited about it, John. I, it's somebody said to me, it's the kind of thing that you'd want to do from. Um, well, if we just introduce it, uh, you'll understand the reasoning. Um, Iron Man is basically just uh, special. When you're dead, you're dead, um, and the the rules surrounding death are a lot more strict. So, for instance, your escape pod isn't automatic. You need to launch it yourself before your ship does. Um, become, you know, um, and that the life support fails on it. So, um, yeah, it's it's a lot more, it's, it's like the old-fashioned escape pod. You do need to activate it yourself. Also, the escape pod has uh, potential for being damaged, so there's a chance you're going to die anyway. <laughs> um, and um, so, yeah, this, the idea is then if you do die as an Iron Man, you're no longer part of the Iron Man group, but you can resurrect your character as a normal character. So that, what I was going to say is, if you're going to have an Iron Man character, out with an Iron Man character, and then once you've died, then join the casual game. I don't know if that logic is sound, but that's what somebody and I were talking about. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, the actual proposal, the, uh, the write-up says, during commander creation, so when you actually create your commander, the player may set the Iron Man flag. Iron Man commanders can never be grouped with normal commanders, because obviously the death penalties vary, so you, know, you wouldn't really want to be in. If you were an Iron Man commander, you'd be wanting to fight against someone else that had the same amount to lose as you, as opposed to a casual player who's just going to rematerialize at the, the last space station they came out of. Um, 
players can use the same name for both normal and Iron Man commanders. So you can, from that, it suggests that you can have two games going at the same time with the same commander, one in the Iron Man universe and one in the more casual normal universe. The question would be there, what would happen if your Iron Man commander with the same name uh, died in the Iron Man universe and you wanted to move him into the casual universe where you've already got a a normal commander going. Yeah, and, and they have actually specified that commander names are meant to be unique. This Iron Man thing seems to break the rule because somebody asked, "Could can we name our ships apart from just the usual registration number? And the answer was, yeah, you can name your ship whatever you want. They don't have to be unique because the commander name is unique. I mean, are we all in agreement with John there that we will all start out as Iron Man and you know, run away from every fight that we go into <laughs> uh, until we die and then we'll uh, throw caution to the wind and uh, keep on I coming think, back and being resurrected. I think you're placing targets on all of our heads um, <laughs> for playing the game because immediately then they will look for the Lave Radio Massive. Um, I think it would almost be more satisfying to switch to Iron Man mode once you've, you know, and there obviously there probably won't be levels or anything in Elite Dangerous, but once you've got to like a, you know, like your level 20 or whatever, and you've got a decent ship and things to lose, then Iron Man becomes interesting. I think if you're playing Iron Man when you start out just as, you know, some punk in his little Eagle Long Range fighter, um, you're almost just not, it's, it doesn't matter if you lose it almost. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay, guys, so... That's the two topics on the DDF at the moment. The final topic on the DDF isn't so much going through a proposal as more what's going through the DDF at the moment, something that we're probably going to touch on next week, which is the, the concept of uh, shields. We're not going to go into too much detail on here, apart from one of the things that has been discussed is there's the option of various different ammunition types, which I have to say from, you know, this is purely personal, but coming from uh, playing EVE Online, one of the things I found so hard about EVE Online to get uh, my head around was the fact that they had lots and lots of different ammo types. Now, the concept that Elite Dangerous are going through at the moment is that they are going for kinetic, so bullets, lasers, and explosives. So the three main, topic, uh, three main types of uh, ammunition. Um, if it stays there, I think I should just about be able to get my brain around it. The problem I had with EVE Online was that there were lots and lots of different types. Missile types, laser types, kinetic types, hybrid uh, ammo. So I think for the stupid player out there like me, keeping it simple is the way forward. But what do you guys think? I, I think it just adds an extra element to the game that's been missing until now because it's just simply, as far as weapons go, it's just been missiles and it's been lasers, either beam or, or pulse. Um, it's nice to see bullets in there. Um, in in the context of shields, um, going to be a straightforward shield anymore. Some shields are going to be better against other weapons, probably. So it's going to add a whole new dynamic to the game. Um, it's get more complex. It'll make it you know that bit more engaging. You know, I've said before that anything that adds more, you know, flesh to the bones uh, is brilliant. I think one of, one of the things that would be interesting is if there's a strategic choice between what kind of weapon you use at any given time. So to give an analogy, if you've got a ship that has really powerful shields that you just haven't got the laser energy to cut through their shields, maybe it would be interesting if you can resort to kinetic weapons, which maybe don't do as much damage, but maybe ignore the shield factor and just go straight for armour. And that would be one of those things that would just give you, you know, tactical choices as a player. 
which is certainly an interesting concept, but that would also bring on the fact, would you have a kinetic weapon already mounted, or are you talking about switching weapons whilst you're actually in space? I'm, I'm assuming that you know you would have the option, particularly on, on more equipped fighters, to have weapons of different kinds at any given time. You know, either that, or that does then encourage players to team up in a fleet, so yeah. you, you've got a balance of different ship types and, and weapon types. Well, that's certainly something that... Uh... Once there's been a bit more flesh on the bones, as Chris says, we'll come back to next week and see uh, see what the situation currently is with Shields. But that's going to do it for the development news for this week, guys. What we're going to do is we're going to hear from our sponsors again and then move on to the community. Hi, I'm Trent Stephen Findlist Jr. And I'm here to tell all you pilots about a great new service. Take a listen to my friend, Pete. My name is Pete and I'm a long-distance haulier. I drive a Puma shipping farm machinery from Leasty to Sawayo. I love my family and I don't mind being a hard-working blue-collar dad, but I'm tired of seeing my family grow old in front of my eyes. Every time I make the run there and back, I lose 15 days in hyperspace. My family is starting to notice that they're getting older and I'm not. My wife had a baby last week, did a week of shifts and now my kids got teeth. I wish there was some way my family could get old at the same speed as me. There is, Pete. How? By buying into my new service, Findlist Cryogenics. We aim to put the freeze on the premature ageing of your family. The process is simple. Our unique family centres allow you to drop off your loved ones on the way to work. Simply hire the number of cryogenic pods you need and keep your family asleep while you fly among the stars. We ensure synchronicity with your flight patterns so they spend the same time awake that you spend in the cockpit. And when you get home, bingo! Your family is the same age as you. Never lose family time in hyperspace again. We guarantee that you'll never miss another birthday, anniversary or funeral. Wow, Trent, that sounds great. Where do I sign? Simply put your credit card details into our special webpage under the hashtag WeFreezeYourLove. We'll take care of the amounts, no need to worry about that. It's so simple. I can't wait to keep my family in a secure block of ice. It's a weight off my mind. Findalist Cryogenics, now at your local spaceport. Findalist Cryogenics, because the family that grows old together goes cold together okay and we're back uh, entering into the community corner section um so alan moving straight on with your kickstarter tell us where you are uh, tell us a little bit about getting the kickstarter up and running <laughs> tell us how you feel after being what are we in two three days in now yeah yeah no we're uh, we're about uh, just over three days in staring at the total right now three thousand and twenty eight pounds wow it's quite quite something this um i initially um i had everything ready to go on friday um then made one tiny mistake in my my sort of putting together of the kickstarter and the way in which the, the site worked and got completely stuck uh, i got up at like seven o'clock in the morning to get it all launched by nine and uh didn't so then waited and, and sort of had to start again got it all redone and then by 12 o'clock i was ready launched it and kickstarter held me in a queue until Monday afternoon, Ouch. about six. <laughs> so my whole weekend was quite, when is this going live? Um, but it's all fine. It's, it's, it's launched well. Um, and obviously a couple of concerns about the fact that we were launching on a Monday. But, um, but actually it's, it's going tremendously. So I'm, I'm absolutely humbled by the response. I, I've never experienced anything like this. I have to say that you know for anybody thinking about running a Kickstarter project on anything, it is the most incredible experience. 
you know, you, you get an email when every pledge comes in. You see the amounts that people are pledging. Some people you know, some people you don't. And it just, you know, it is, it is an absolutely humbling experience. I don't think there's any other way of putting it. Well, I can imagine then if you get an email every time a, uh, a new pledge comes in, it must almost be obsessive by now that you, uh, you're watching your email account waiting for the next one to arrive. It was after, when, once it went live, the first two and a half hours, there was an email coming in about every 30 seconds. And wow. my phone was on, linked to my email address, and it was just going off every 30 seconds. Um, it, it settled down a little bit now. You know, you kind of have waves and, and everything else. But um, it is, yeah, you know, it is incredibly addictive. And you, you do find yourself sitting and staring at it, which, um, you know, is, is, <laughs> is depressingly sad. But, you know... <laughs> It is something that, you know, there is no greater sort of, I guess, validation of something that you want to do than seeing that people are prepared to support it and support it, not just in, you know, in the, the pledges of money, but also in the fact that if people share the link, you know, when when it's supported on Twitter, when it's supported on Facebook, um, by doing that, you know, that just lets you know that actually they're, you know, they're committed to something that's there as well. I, I'm incredibly moved by by the gestures that have, have come in so far. I'm one of those people anyway that writes and, and, and engages with projects with a bit of a guilty conscience. And when people give me criticism, whether it's positive or negative, when they're engaging with something I'm doing, that spurs me on. So, I mean, Chris Jarvis knows quite well when I get involved in writing something and making something, you know, it, I, it just sucks up my life and, and takes me away for, for a long period of time. I'm very meticulous about the things that I want to create. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's looking very exciting. Those emails and you see who's pledging, you know, what gives you greater pleasure? Somebody that you know pledging or a complete stranger, but I wouldn't want to prejudice all those strangers. <laughs> I, can, I can quite happily answer that. I don't think either does. I think that there have been one or two things where I've seen a friend put some money into what's there and knowing the background of those individuals and knowing, you know, just what their lives are like, you realize just how much they have decided to to support you, you know, and that's quite moving in its own right. But similarly, when you see a name go into, you know, go into the, the pledging system that you don't know, you sit there and you think, my word, you know, actually something I'm doing has impressed you that much to commit that much. And so they're, they're very different. Um, in and of themselves and what about what about family support alan uh what does karen reckon to your newfound fame and uh kickstarter prowess uh, oh she 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 totally grounds me um I, I, <laughs> if i have if i have any any sort of possibility of getting um entirely too big for my boots then um I, i'm fairly sure that she will quite happily beat me up and ensure that uh, <laughs> that i'm i'm well put in my place she i mean she's delighted she was initially skeptic uh, skeptical of uh, of you know the the way in which this system worked uh, and everything else but gradually we we kind of looked at it and and sort of determined how it would work and and karen knows you know, she's been involved in projects I've worked on before, so she knows the uh, the commitments and the and the different ways in which some of these projects work. So, yeah, I mean, we're looking at this, and you know, I, I've always wanted to be a professional writer. That is is ultimately much as you know, I, I I teach writing and I teach filmmaking. That is something that I do at the moment, and I love my job. But ultimately, I've always wanted to be a professional writer, and this is a stepping stone towards being a professional writer to a you know to a wider audience. And so she's very supportive of that. One question, you know, since you started doing a lot of work helping, 
you know, um, all of the writers for um, Elite. And obviously, you've now started your own Kickstarter. Are you keeping up with your chores around the house? <laughs> uh, well, as both of you know, I was medicating the cat earlier this evening. So, yes, yes, I have done that. I am usually very good at these things, but um, I think I will be doing a bit of catching up over the weekend in between working on the latest guidebook that I'm doing for the Writers' Forum. Just out of interest, do you want to share what that uh, that latest guidebook is, Alan? Yes, uh, I think I can go as far as sharing it. I've just finished a guidebook on corporations. Now, let's just explain to people how this works. Um, anything I write is not official elite canon. What I write is I write like a concept writer. So it's very similar to the sketches that... Um, that was seen in the dev diary. Effectively, I'm given an idea. I then go away and write against that idea. And then the, the frontier developments team will take my writing. And, you know, and they do the same with other people. It's not just me. You know, you've got Dave Hughes, you've got TJ working on, on different things um, and some of the others as well. And you basically, they will take what I've done and they will draw all over it, red pen all over it, change it, alter it. And then, you know, it will be the thing that they want. And, I'm absolutely happy with that. You know, I'm not I'm not possessive about these things. You know, I, I, I want to kind of get an idea of glimpsing towards what the, you know, the eventual game will be. And I'm quite happy to, you know, to sort of almost be a stalking horse, you know, put the thing out there and then people can look at it and go, yeah, we like that bit. We don't want that bit. We'll change that. That bit good. That change. All right, fine. So to go back to the question, I've just finished the one on corporations. The draft on corporations has just gone in. Uh, the next one I'm working on is covert intelligence. Excellent. Well, Alan, that's fascinating. We were hoping to include an interview with uh, Drew Wager as part of this podcast community corner section. However, the interview with Drew was actually so interesting, so fascinating. It kind of went a little bit over uh, the scheduled time we had for it. So what we're going to do with that one is we're actually going to release Drew's interview as a separate podcast as an entity in its own right, which should come maybe at the same time or maybe a couple of days after the podcast that you're listening to. So what we're going to do for the rest of this community corner, uh, we've put an announcement out on the forums. What we'd actually like is we'd like you, the listener, to send in your fondest memories of Elite, how you remember first getting involved in the Elite franchise. It doesn't have to be much, uh, a little two-minute recording to a microphone. Upload it somewhere and send the link to info at laveradio.com. And our first bit of listener interaction comes from Darren Gray. Hello, I'm Darren Gray. I'll be Commander Gray in the game. I'm 29, living in London, and I am an Elite fan. Though a Frontier fan, to be more precise, as it was the game that caught my heart most and occupied my teenage years, my enduring memory was of piloting an ASP out of the heart of civilization, exploring systems way, way in the distance. I used to check out star systems, scoop fuel, gaze at planets, and marvel at some of the strange little pockets of life I found far out there. I was a true explorer, doing it purely for the joy of exploration itself. And the scale of it all overwhelmed me. No matter how far I went, there was always far, far further to go. It was truly epic, and that memory will stay with me forever. That's why I'm excited to be flying out to the stars again in Elite Dangerous. I spend so much time in my Imperial Trader, I find it really hard to meet people. I mean, when do you get the time to go to bars when you're taking on courier jobs for the military? But with VenusDating.com it was so simple. I just put in my personal details and they found me my perfect match. 
I really thought it would be difficult, but Venus dating made it so simple, with so much in common. We both like movies, walking along the beach at sunset, browsing imperial shipyards. And of course, since we started dating, we've discovered that we both really love <laughs> shooting Thargoids. Let your voyage begin with venusdating.com for every first encounter. Once again, thanks very much to Darren Gray for his elite memories. Right, guys, moving on to the final section of the podcast, the, the feedback and shout out section. Now, again, we, we touched upon this at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, we've been inundated both with the info at laveradio.com email address and also on the forums in terms of feedback for episode one. Uh, yeah, just to say again, guys, a massive thank you for that. It really does sort of spur us on to, uh, to try and make the podcast better. Um, some general feedback that came in, the first bit of feedback we got was, um, can we do it in Russian? I was actually quite surprised by this, but um, from speaking to Alan, it, it, it seems to be that there is actually quite a lot of Russian following for the Elite franchise, which I was completely unaware of. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, there's a substantial uh, Russian community associated with the Elite games, uh, probably associated mostly because of the fact that um, they took Frontier First Encounters and then... Um, did a, a, a complete reskin. There's a, a, a freely downloadable version of Frontier First Encounters with a, a, a completely revamped graphic skin on the top of it that looks fantastic. So yeah, so obviously a great deal of interest in the new game, and um, yeah, they you know they may have. I would suggest they probably joined you know the the Elite Universe franchise a little later than other people did, but you know that kind of means that um, it's very current for them. Perfect. So um, what we have decided to do is we are going to get a, a written transcript of the podcast and try and convert that into the Russian language so that they at least know what's been discussed on the podcast uh, going forward. One of the bits of feedback that we had on the, the forum came from Brody, who actually took a, a decent amount of time to give us some critical feedback as to what sort of things we might want to include um, and how we could possibly uh, improve. Uh, one of the common themes that for, came from Brody and also quite a few other people was uh, they wanted to see more writer interviews or interviews with people that have got uh, separate licensed fiction projects on the go. Well, as we've already mentioned in the podcast, we have got our first being released as a separate podcast episode that will follow on very shortly onto the heels of this one. But going forward, it's certainly something that we're going to try and incorporate into the podcast. Other ideas from Brody were... Uh, interviews with developers. Now, I think we would all like to uh, to actually sit the developers down and, and fire some questions at them. Uh, what I will say is that as long as we can keep going as a podcast, as long as we can try and keep the standard of the podcast high, build a bit of a reputation, I'm sure before the game actually gets released, uh, we'll have a few developers um, on the actual cast itself. So uh, that's something for the future. A few community interviews this is something that we would be quite interested in having. Obviously, there's the four of us talking heads at the moment, but there's quite a few people within the community, quite a few people on the forums that have been there for quite some time. Uh, it would be quite nice to get them on and uh, you know, fire some questions, get their, get their feedback on how they think the development's going. So yeah, that's certainly something we should be looking at uh, in the weeks ahead. So if you're interested in that, fire us an email at info at laveradio.com. We've certainly got a few people in mind who we'd like to ask, but that will come up in the next few weeks. A tech spot uh, was another one of Brody's ideas where we'll actually do some peripheral reviews, um, maybe a different peripheral each, uh, each episode, including joysticks, headset, gaming keyboards, Oculus Rifts, that sort of thing. 
Now, I must admit, I am an absolute gadget fiend, and this is the sort of thing that would really appeal to me. However, I have to wonder, what sort of peripherals can you guys think would actually be worth um, doing reviews for in terms of a game like Elite Dangerous? It looks like it's going to be a control pad kind of game. Control pads, keyboards, joysticks. What do you reckon? I'll tell you what, I saw a uh, an arcade machine in Tokyo, which basically you sat in it, and it had this big semi, sort of like a hemisphere glass window in front of you, and it actually projected this kind of mech battling scene on the circle in front of you, so it felt like you were sitting inside it. If, if someone can produce a peripheral like that for uh, Elite Dangerous, then brilliant. I think really the, the technical side and, and you know, the technology of what your rig might be with regards to playing the game is probably something we'll, we'll start to cover as we get closer, um, particularly once we get to, to sort of near the alpha test stage, then it becomes something very, very sort of close to, you know, to what we can, we can give some kind of opinion on. Um, and, you know, we can kind of look at it then. Yeah, and I'd just like to say, if there's any hardware manufacturers out there that want to throw gear at us <laughs> for us to review, then you are welcome to do so. Uh, something else I'd also say about the feedback, we, we will listen to all points. Um, whether we agree with them, whether we disagree with them, we will listen to all points, and we are very, very conscious of the fact that we're trying to build um, as international a community as we possibly can. The game obviously has an international standing. Um, we want to, to support that, and we also want to, you know, to sort of build a standing in relation to, to Lave Radio. Anything that's said, we certainly take on board, and hopefully we can discuss and, and, and sort of try and arrange between ourselves as to, to how we, we influence the style of the podcast in the future. And another point made by Brody was a spotlight on that community. Uh, keep an eye on the forums, highlight some popular threads, forum gossip, deads, comments. The the forums, I think this is a bone of contention for everybody, they are just moving too damn fast to try and keep up with. I blame the fact that most of the elite fans out there work in IT and spend a lot of time in front of their computers at work. Everything just moves at such a pace that I find it very difficult to keep on top of on the threads on the forum. What do you guys think? At least stay on top of the threads that I start, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that I, I envisage this podcast as offering a service to people that don't have a lot of time to sit in front of the forums for eight hours of a day. Um, and I'll continue to read the forums so other people don't have to. You hero. <laughs> and I also work in IT. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Right, guys. Well, please, please, please keep on sending in your feedback. The only way that we, we can actually improve this podcast is by getting you know, more constructive feedback from you guys, more of what you want to uh, see included. Tell us what you want to see, what you don't want to see. And uh, we'll try and you know, we're still at the very early sort of formative stages of building Lave Radio. So uh, if there's more things that you want to see, then now is the time to tell us. Which leads us straight on to the shout-out section. Now, the main shout-out we've got this week actually goes to Kate Russell. Now, most of the most of you should probably know her from uh, BBC Click or from the mostly harmless Elite Dangerous project. Now, Kate Russell is in shortlisted for some Shorty Awards. Shorty Awards being awards for journalism. And she's doing very, very well at the moment. She could really do with a little bit of help from uh, from the elite fan base. Now she doesn't know we're going to say the shout out, so uh, it's not any way connected to uh, to Kate herself. But uh, she's currently sitting with about 220 votes. Last time I checked, she only needs about 30 to go into third place, and actually she only needs about 200 to take the first place spot. So if you want to do um, <laughs> do Kate Russell a favour, uh, go to shortyawards.com. 
Scroll down to journalism, click on there, and you will be able to vote for her using your Twitter account. Uh, another shout out this week goes to Elite Encounters. Congratulations to Dave. He's managed to hit his target. So that's another elite project across the line, another Kickstarter that's been successfully funded. Uh, Dave's currently sitting at £5,490. Dave's next stretch goal is 7750 which is for professional uh, illustrations inside the book. So if you haven't backed Elite Encounters yet, help Dave and push him on to his first stretch goal. That would be great. Lave Revolution. Obviously, Alan's not going to pimp it, but we'll pimp it for him. He's halfway there. I'm just over halfway there. The other thing we should finally mention is that we are now available at long last on iTunes. If you put in Lave Radio onto iTunes, you can find the podcast and subscribe there. If you'd like to give us some feedback on iTunes, it helps us, makes us a little bit more visible in the iTunes community. We'd be very grateful for that. A special shout out goes to Mobius, being the first person to give us some feedback on iTunes. Uh, a nice five-star review, Mobius. We are very grateful for that indeed. And finally, to the Reddit Elite Dangerous Reddit crew. Uh, we're actually seeing quite a lot of traffic coming through from the Elite Dangerous Reddit. So uh, a big shout out to you guys as well. And unless anybody else has anything to say, that's going to do it for this week. Excellent. Well, we'll power down the Sidewinder and we'll see you next week. Cheers.